You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast. We have part two today with Rebecca Naomi Jones and I talking about the St. James Theater. Hi, I'm Rebecca Naomi Jones, and you're listening to me at the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast. of asking about talking about um, things that are on the street as well as the theater. So um, one thing that's cool about the St. James is it's right next to John's Pizzeria, Mm -hmm. which I find so cool because um, it is... always like walking in there you're like oh why does this look like a church and when I dug into it you know it was built as a church in the 1880s which you can tell from like the beautiful um you know glass ceiling and all of that um but I heard from a lot of people that I interviewed that um from you know the time that it was built in the 1880s until the 70s all of the people that worked at that church would come to all the shows on 44th street like there were always like priests walking around and all of that and then before it was uh John's Pizzeria after it was the church it was actually a home of Covenant House before they got their current home so those um folks would also also come to shows on the block. Wow. Um, and the other interesting restaurant moment thing about the St. James is actually the original location of Sardi's um, was where the St. James now is. And it was, even when it was first built, Sardi's in like the beginning of the 20th century, um, it was frequented by like all of the theater folks and the Schuberts and everybody. And then when Abraham Erlinger bought the land and was building it, the Schuberts said, hey, Sardi's, we love you. We're going to give you a little plot of <gasps> land a little bit farther on 44th Street towards um, Broadway. And that's how we got Sardi's like where oh. it is. And then um, the theater owners of Saint, the St. James originally kept like trying to pay back Sardis by, you know, there was this very long Shakespeare drama that was like five hours and they would send everybody to Sardis on the like dinner break or wow. things like that. Um, but the original Sardis was actually like right where the St. James. That is, is so cool. So they do still like feel very connected. I mean, we had our closing night um party there at Sardi's and and yeah that's that's really special I've heard about that closing night though wasn't did Billy Joe play for a long time and yeah. everyone was like screaming I've heard yeah. little stories about yeah. that yeah there was like there was a full concert after the show yeah that's yeah, yeah, really fun. what was it like to do the show with him oh it was incredible it was incredible um Billy and the band in general um Billy is is an incredibly hard worker. And that was so great to see that he's not just, you know, a punk rocker guy who um, doesn't care. It's, mm. There's not like a devil may care, I'm just gonna do my thing and, you know, F you if you don't like it. It's very like, I'm gonna do my thing and I'm gonna do it really well and I hope you like it. Mm. Um, so, for example, even when we performed on the Grammys, we rehearsed, you know, hours and hours like I remember three hours each time we rehearsed for that one song wow and you know and we sang the song in the show too so it was like we really knew it it's clear his work ethic was amazing because he was great in the show and I can't believe all the extra stuff he was doing around it at the time that's right yeah yeah. and he really took Michael's direction to heart he really wanted to be as good as he could and he really wanted to be as good an actor as he could and show up and um and be able to you know, sustain the eight shows a week thing. And he, he does it beautifully. And, and it shows in his concerts as well. I mean, they play for hours. Yeah. 
So, do yeah. you remember anything about that time as far as other shows on the block other than Sardi's? Was there anything else you interact with or like a place that you guys would always go to to hang nearby or anything like that? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I remember that show uh, Next Fall uh-huh. was next door to us for a bit and that was really fun and sweet. It was the first time I met um, Cheryl who directed it, who I just adore and and all of the actors in that were really friendly and we became friendly with them and we, I think, we definitely went and saw that play when we could and I'm pretty sure they came to see ours as well and we also became friendly with um uh, the people who were in Enron, uh-huh. which was across the street from us for a while, right. um, and that's how we got Ryder Doyle, who was who became like best friends with Alicia Umfris from that period of time. Um, so many close bonds from this 2010. So time. many close yeah. bonds. I mean, it was a crazy. It was a it was a crazy year. I think. Yeah. Um, but Memphis was across the street from us for a while, and then mm-hmm. um, eventually. Oh no, that wasn't this. That wasn't the same street. But yeah, it was. It was. Um, that was that was it was a really wild time, but yes, um, hangs. We I liked to hang at Angus sometimes. Mm-hmm. I remember we had little um, press things at Angus, at Angus, and we had um, we had some press things at Sardis and some press things at Angus. And I remember having some really fun Sunday night hangs at Angus on the second floor. Yeah. And I remember sharing a large um, T-bone steak with Libby Winters. We <laughs> we talk about it a lot because it was like it was like <laughs> this big. It was so. So it was like a tomahawk, I guess. Uh, it was really good. I'm oh, so sorry if you're vegan. <laughs> I remember <laughs> being at Angus, RIP Angus, one time um, with some friends on the second floor when the show got out, happened to be getting out and like we couldn't leave Angus because the stage door was so crazy. That stage door was crazy. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was insane. Yeah. It was a really good time at Angus. It was also the first time I met in person Celie Keenan-Bolger, I remember. I was eating there and she came in to meet a friend and we both were like, oh my God, I'm such a big fan of yours. I'm such a big fan of yours. And it was like, you know, I saw like little hearts. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are, are there anything, uh, is there anything else about the St. James that one wouldn't know unless one works there? Because one of the things that I think is really weird and interesting is like the stage door isn't quite a stage door, you know, it's down um, the hallway that's actually part of the theater. So was that um, weird to navigate that it just wasn't an actual stage door? Yeah, there were, there were like two doors you could enter from and one was sort of like to the right, which was like a hallway. Yeah, it was like a hallway inside of the theater that led to the sort of back, um, I don't know what that's called, like corridor thing. Yeah. Which was really weird, which then became like the merch hallway. Um, and one was if you wanted to enter sort of where the crew is in the back of the theater where you sort of walk across the stage. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty weird. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think of what else. Um, they... Uh, there is the one thing I remember. There's like a seat that's all alone in the mezzanine that they call the Tommy Toon seat because oh, it's yeah. where like he liked to sit when he did shows like My One and Only there, um, which I thought that was interesting. And also I'm remembering this. It's not a weird thing about the theater, but um, Lauren Bacall was an usher there when he, she first knew, moved what? to New York as her yes as her day job before she was you know famous Hollywood and Broadway. Lauren Bacall she was an usher uh-huh. there, um, and I know this because when I interviewed John McMartin, the late great John McMartin, he said that he ushered there one night too. Um, because he was at a bar and a guy couldn't go to his ushering job at the pajama game wow. and was like, hey man, can you go usher at the St. James? And so from that, I somehow ended up learning that also Lauren Bacall, but she was an usher, you know, for like a year. Wow. And some of the columns like wrote about her the way that they did in the 40s of like, who's that tall, slim no. blonde on the oh. usher on the aisle left? Um, wow. Which I always think is weird. But as long as we're talking about Angus, I'm going to read a story too, um, which is only relevant to Angus because I interviewed Biorkley at Angus. And again, it's uh. our 
RIP. I'm sad that it's not there anymore. Me too. But okay, so here's Bayark Lee on the St. James. When I was five years old, I was in The King and I at the St. James Theater. The auditions were right across the street at the Majestic where South Pacific was playing. I remember walking into the St. James as such a young child and seeing the chandeliers and the red seats. It was that exact moment that I made up my mind I wanted a life in the theater. We had been out of town before that, but it wasn't anything like the St. James. It was so majestic at the St. James. Those rich red velvet seats, I was in a palace. The St. James became my theater. I used to make my mother bring me there very, very early so I could just wander around. It was not technically allowed, but I just loved being in the theater when there was nobody there. I'd get to 44th Street and sign in as early as I could. I loved signing in. The doorman and his wife were named Wilbur and Marion, and I would just sit there with them sometimes talking. I parked myself in their little cubbyhole and listened to their stories about vaudeville. Wilbur, Wilbur always wore a hat. I remember so many of their stories. During The King and I, the building that's now a pizza restaurant was a church, and the priests lived there. So everyone in the show would look out the window of the St. James and just see all these priests. There was also an open-air alleyway next to the theater before the next building. That's the covered walkway to the restaurant Angus McIndoe now. When I grew out of my costume, I was let go from the King and I, but I came back to the St. James years later with Flower Drum Song, and there were Wilbur and Marion. Mm. They were still there. They watched me grow up. During The King and I, the kids had been on the seventh floor because we made a lot of noise. When I came back for Flower Drum Song, we were in the basement. At that time, I was going to the Performing Arts High School on 46th Street, so I would come into the theater at 3 p.m., and the dressers would help me do my homework. Evelyn, my dresser, became my theater godmother. I'll never forget her. She really took care of me and helped me during that time to make sure I could do the show and not neglect my homework. The eighth floor was the mother's floor. There was actually a floor where all the mothers would sit while they were waiting for the kids to finish the show. Most of the time they weren't allowed there until near the end of the show, so they would sit at the Astor Hotel waiting in the meantime. That's no longer there, by the way. RIP Astor Hotel. (laughs) At that time, there weren't lighting boards. Instead, there were stagehands downstairs in the basement pulling levers to change the lighting cues. All of the girls would go down there and talk to the stagehands. I wasn't even a teenager yet, but I remember noticing all their flirting and thinking, wow. (laughs) <laughs> Our head wardrobe lady was named Flo Davis, and she always looked mean, but she was actually a real sweetheart. She'd been in the business and in vaudeville, too, for years. I love listening to her stories the same way that you're listening to mine now. When I came in at 3 p.m., I'd go down to Flo's space, and the wardrobe crew at the St. James would be talking and sewing and preparing the show, and I'd sit there doing my homework listening to them. The lighting guys would be hanging around. I just loved being around it. During both The King and I and Flower Drum Drum Song, we had big potlucks between shows. On two show days, everyone would bring food and we would all share. That seemed to be a tradition associated with Asian shows, but at the time, it's worth noting that those shows had a lot of Caucasians in them. There either weren't a lot of Asian singer-dancers around, or they just weren't getting hired. So King and I and Flower Drum Song had a lot of Caucasians who put on makeup to appear Asian. Slowly but surely, that changed. That's what my company, the National Asian Artists Project, is about. Show business was such a good time. I started dancing when I was three, and I liked it. Then I got the king and I when I was five. It was really that experience that drove my entire career because I saw how great show business could be. It made me really study and buckle down and practice and want to be better so I could keep doing this. After I did King and I and Flower Drum Song, which were these huge hits at the St. James, the next show I booked was Bravo Giovanni at the Broadhurst. I was supposed to go to Juilliard for college, but then Carol Haney called me and said, come dude, Bravo Giovanni. I told her I was going to school in September, and then I realized I wasn't. I was hooked, (laughs) line and sinker on show business. I was not going to school. I was going out of town to Detroit and then to Broadway. Bravo Giovanni was a fun show. It was about two competing restaurants, one very successful and one didn't have any money. So the characters built a tunnel in order to go to the successful restaurant and steal their food. It was really funny and it was Michelle Lee's first show. David Opatoshu from The Met, who's famous for films, was in it, and George S. Irving and Maria Karnilova were terrific. It felt the show would be a must-see. With all those great people, it felt destined to be a hit. 
but it wasn't. Bravo Giovanni didn't run for a long time. We lasted only from May until September of 62. At some point that summer, I was sitting on the Broadhurst fire escape looking out, and I saw that across the street they were painting the sign for Mr. President at the St. James, a new show by Irving Berlin. I thought, oh God, I wish I could get into that show. And then I did, and I went back to the St. James Theater. Mr. President starred Robert Ryan, Nanette Fabre, and Anita Gillette. I got to play a grocery girl in that show. Finally, not a kid. The show didn't run for very long, but people enjoyed it. When I came back to the St. James as the associate choreographer on my one and only in 1983, I was amazed by how much the place had changed. It was renovated, and things like the alleyway were gone. Every theater I've been in, I just love. There's not a Broadway theater that isn't special. Some people come in, do their job, and leave, but I'm the curious cat who prowls around before everyone gets there and opens all the doors and explores. Boy, our wow. queen. <laughs> I just, I died. What a sweet story. She did four shows at the St. James. That's and two, incredible. Like, just what the shows were, it blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. No. Oh, that really does blow my mind. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to just think of like all those Rogers and Hammerstein shows taking up that space and then like, you know, and then American Idiot. And it's just yeah. like this, yeah, this timeline of such different shows, but like the leg- legacy of musical theater. Yeah, and theater is so special in in the way that you know a space can make you feel at home. You know, a, a space can really just sort of do something to your insides and to your energy. The way it did, obviously, for her. The way she want to get there early because it felt so magical yeah and that's I mean when I went back to the St. James for Frozen the house manager and the ushers were all just like oh my god Rebecca (laughs) hi you know yeah totally really there's nothing like it yeah I love that um, do you remember, was there anything, um, as far as like, if people love American Idiot, if they've listened to the cast recording, but they didn't get to see the show, did you have any favorite moment in the show to perform or to watch that you weren't performing? Oh gosh. Well, I loved to watch and listen to Holiday, which was the, um, Holiday, which was the song where, um, they, the, the guys were traveling from the suburbs into the city. And so it was really, it was the, the cool moment where the scaffolding became a bus and it, they tipped it over. And then oh, sort yeah. of the, all the ensemble was, was sort of riding this scaffolding, look, making it look like a bus. And just the choreography was so amazing. And everybody was just um, so giving 100% every single time. So watching it was thrilling. And I just thought that musical arrangement that Tom Kitt did was also so thrilling. Um, so that was one of His my favorites. His work on the show was amazing. It really was. Oh my was. God. It really so was. Um, yeah, and I just, I loved doing Letter Bomb with the women, um, which, funny story, my mom, who takes spinning, um, <laughs> says that sometimes that comes in on (laughs) her spinning classes and she'll be like that's my daughter I love that (laughs) yeah it's very nice I wouldn't be surprised to hear American Idiot was a good entire cast recording for spinning like of course it is totally yeah I do have people tell me that they listen to it when they work out Um, well we can't talk about the St. James without talking about um, a couple other shows Hello Dolly was there for a legendary amount of time um, in you know I think from 64 to 70 it was there for about 6-7 years but at that time that was like an unfathomable unfathomable amount of time for a musical to run Um, and thinking about Oklahoma having just you know set this record as this long-running show um Hello Dolly then you know swooped in and did the same and I remember reading David Merrick had the office that now belongs to Jordan Roth above the theater but when he had it it was like painted red and he would use um you know a hole in the floor to spy on the people no. doing Dolly and no. um, <laughs> different times at the St. James and then also you know the producers which um that was the first show I ever saw at the St. James mm-hmm. and uh both of those shows I heard a lot of stuff and I, this goes back farther but I heard a lot of stories about uh, the creative teams hanging out on the stairs on House Left, uh-huh. um, which again, you're in the show, so that wasn't probably your hang spot, but 
I've heard a lot about over the years, there's like this great, you know, plush staircase that leads to the mezzanine from the orchestra on House Left. That's mm-hmm. like, if you see a show and you're walking on those stairs, chances are, you know, every creative team that has worked there has mm-hmm. kind of, you know, stewed over changes during previews on that staircase. Yeah, it's oh, dreamy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, my producer's memory is like, it was my first trip to New York and it was the producers. So it was completely sold out. And my mom was like, if we get in this cancellation line at three in the morning, we, we're going to get tickets. And I was like, there's so many other great shows. Like, I want to see it, but we're never going to get tickets. We're going to do it. And it was like the most New York experience because, you know, it was my first trip to New York and we like sat on the street for nine hours with strangers and like ate donuts. And it was like, yes. you know, how the old school rush lines used to be. It was, and then we like, you know, got standing room tickets. Oh. It was very magical. I love that your mom was up for it too. She was, she was like, we're going to see this show. And I'm so that. glad we did. Cause that show was incredible. Yeah. Um, I also heard this crazy story about the producers where, um, apparently it was only I, so the owners of 54 below mm-hmm. actually, you know, are the producers of the producers. So they have all kinds of great stories about it. Um, and they told me that once, and it's the only time that it happened. A man was very angered by Hitler, by all the oh, stuff, which, sure. you know, of course, yeah. but also like, you know, the whole point that the show's making is that, <laughs> yeah. um, and stormed up the aisle and tried to strangle Mel Brooks oh. and said, how dare you? I was in world war two. And Mel Brooks said, so was I, and I didn't see you there. <laughs> But I'm just, oh, it's so good. But wow, yeah. wow. So oh. that's a show that made some history at the St. James. Too. Yes, yeah. yes, it did. Have you been back um, other than Frozen? Like, have you seen stuff? Um, I know that's yeah. always a weird thing. It, yeah, sometimes it is. For it totally is. Yeah, I, I definitely saw um, uh, Clear Day there. Right? Wasn't that there? Yeah. yeah. On a clear day, you can see forever. I saw that there. And I'm sure I've seen Very different Michael Mayer very, show. <laughs> very different Michael Mayer show. Um, I think I went to the opening of that. Yes, I did. Um, and and I'm sure I've seen one other thing in the St. James between then and Frozen, but I couldn't tell you what it was. So many shows. Even though it has a lot of hits, it also has short, you know, yeah. it, has, it has had a lot of shows in our time. Yeah. As opposed to those theaters that are just occupied and you're like, if I didn't see, you know, Mama Mia, I didn't see anything. That's right. That's well, right. That's right. Yeah. Um, one other cool one that I just want to remember to mention is um, Pajama Game, you know, originally mm-hmm. at the St. James. And um, there's a great story about how Prince and his producing partner, Bobby Griffith, they um, were, you know, producing the show, but, you know, it was a long shot for a hit and they hired themselves as stage managers so they would, you know, have salaries. And on open. Oh, opening night when things used to, um, you know, opening night was different back then in a certain way because it was often the first performance where you took a temperature for the audience um, rather than how we have so many previews. But Mm -hmm. um, opening night, the show got such a crazy reaction that they realized that they had a hit and they like crossed the St. James stage after the curtain fell down and like embraced and were like, okay, we're producers now. So I do always think of Hal Prince at the St. James too in that story. Yeah. Wow. Um, are there any, and uh, we'll get back to the St. James for a final moment, but are there any Broadway theaters that you would specifically want to work in that you haven't yet? Ooh, that's a good question. You've worked in some very good ones, though, because the Belasco is a very cool Broadway theater, yes, too. Yes, very cool, and I've worked there twice, and um, and it was actually a, such a different experience both times because of the renovations, but also just because of the shows and, and the years. Did you ever see a ghost? I never saw a ghost, but I did when I was, do- when I was there for Passing Strange. I did go up. To the apartment. apartment. Yeah. Oh, but 2007? I mean, it just must have... 2008. Yeah. Okay, it was different because now it's all you know scooped out I guess I know I know which what was the apartment like it sort of felt like um (laughs) this is so cheesy of me to say but it it sort of felt like the opening 
parts of the movie of Titanic. <gasps> oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever heard. That's amazing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about where you're like, you're seeing all of this sort of old timey stuff, the bones of, you know, of what once was, of, of an experience and a place that was, but it's sort of covered in this sort of dust and yeah. and it just, it just you can just feel how old it is and everything is sort of grayed over in a way such that the space itself almost looks like ghostly. Um, that's what it felt like. Wow. But it was also so beautiful, like so much gorgeous old wood and there was some stained glass mm-hmm. stuff in there um, and some really cool uh, like second level area where you could sort of peer down on this mm-hmm. level below. And I also do remember there was some sort of space where you could perch and look down onto the stage. stage. Uh, yes, really, really magical. That's amazing. Place. But, but also there was something, you know, creepy about it totally yeah. yeah that was um i've looked at pictures from when it was in its heyday and it's crazy i think that two level was um like it was a dance floor and you could look over it right. from like a balcony area yeah. but um the thing that people answer the most when i say like is there any theater you'd want to work in that you haven't yet is actually mine might be the belasco because i think belasco is the coolest but most people say the booth where you've also worked yeah so i love the you've booth. like hit some good ones already i but, have yeah. yeah i wonder if there's something that i Hmm. I have to get back to you on that. Yeah. I think, but I, I I do agree with Bayork Lee that they're they're all really special in different ways, mm-hmm. and, and you have to sort of like find find what's special about them. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like Circle in the Square where I'm at right now is small, and the backstage area is really tiny, mm-hmm. and there's it's windowless. So there's a lot about it that's like this is pretty weird, mm-hmm. you know. But but then a lot like working at the Vineyard downtown, it's like there are so many other things about it that are that are you know aside from it being in the basement with no windows that are like so magical and special and a crew that has been there for years mm-hmm. who really love it and really welcome you and um and and the theater space itself being so magical so uh there's there's something really great about all of them so i'm sure i mean the last time i went to the lyceum i was like gosh there's so there's so many beautiful spaces in this theater and you just it's like you go down over here and you could get lost and then yeah. if you go over here it's like being in a maze yeah. but it's like wait a minute i was right over there and i looked over there and now i'm where i was over there. you know <laughs> totally i'm not making sense right now but no, I, totally. I just feel like every time i'm in a theater that i've not worked at i'm like oh wow this yeah. is so weird and, and so special. much of it I feel like is stuff you really wouldn't know unless you worked there like I don't actually know the answer to this but is there a St. James roof situation like do people don't they go on the roof in Birdman it might not actually be the same they no, do it, go on the roof in Birdman we never went on the roof yeah and that's probably the not James. allowed <laughs> yeah probably not allowed um I mean I, at least I never went but I don't I don't remember there being like a way to get up there even mm-hmm. but there were also some other things in the in Birdman where I was like nope you can't make a right there you can't make a left <laughs> totally. there like that's what they did is I remember them going up the stairs to where you would make a right to go to my dressing room and they made a left and there's no left mm-hmm. there's no left turn there so I was like hmm interesting but um, I guess also in the um, you know trajectory of American Idiot um, the Who's Tommy was at the St. James so like oh, legendary yeah. rock musicals so that's one to remember as well that's right it's also it's had so the Civil War was there I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember other shows we haven't mentioned just because I mean truly if you scroll the St. James IBDB page and you should it's like oh that show that show like yeah. so many I mean Gypsy with Patti Lapone was incredible yeah, yeah. Um, that was so good so good I know um, do you have any like final thoughts or memories of American Idiot or the St. James that um, you want to share oh man the final thoughts <laughs> it's, uh, it's big uh, well my experience of doing American Idiot at, at the St. James was just um, it just felt so big 
both the theater itself felt really big and the show itself felt really big and and spectacular it's like even even if you didn't get the show or didn't like the show there the spectacle aspect of it was so large and um and in that way it felt so broadway and um and that was really special to me and still is did it i'm sorry i said final thoughts but then you made me think something did it change a lot from out of town to broadway uh i would not say it changed a lot um it definitely you know there were little things but i i feel like the structure was mostly intact from out of town i don't quite remember if there were any any big things which if there were um it was probably only in a few few places, but I think it just mm-hmm. got tighter and better. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing show. I'm so glad I got to see it at the St. James. I'm like, you got to be part of the legendary St. James history. Gosh, me too. I hope I go back. Yeah. I think that you will. I'm getting a vibe from like us talking about this. I just feel like you're going to do another show there. And then I'll call you immediately. <laughs> you're like, let's talk about St. James. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, go ahead. I, can, I, don't, I think I can tell you this. I'm. Uh, this is sort of um, on par with what we're saying. I'm getting my... Sardi's caricature. What? Yeah, on October that's 10th. That's Shut yeah. up. Yeah. Wait, that's totally amazing. I know. It's really bizarre, honestly. I'm very surprised, but thrilled. How does it work exactly? Like, I how? don't know. Yeah. I got a call from Pete Sanders, our press person at the show, mm-hmm. or one of our press people at Oklahoma, and he called me like a month ago and was like, hey, so you're getting your caricature at Sardi's. Yeah. I was that's like, amazing. what? Why? Me? Huh? Now? I love that. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah. Do you know what my favorite thing about the characters at Sardis is there's no caricature from someone that hasn't actually dined there. It's everyone. Oh. So when you go there, well, other than I guess Kermit the Frog, who's right. there. I don't know. That's <laughs> so, so cool. Cute. I know. Yeah. I know. Oh my God. Yeah. 44th Street history. That's right. Um, well, thank you so much for being on and chatting yeah. with me. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Untold Stories of Broadway, and thank you to our producer, Dory Berenstein, our editor, Alan Seals, my publishers of the Untold Stories of Broadway, Brisa Trincaro and Roberta Pereira, Zach Zadek for that theme music, and thank you to all of you for listening to the podcast. You can buy the Untold Stories in book version on Amazon.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.